I think that there's also a deep kind of societal problem around. I, I think we're we're taught something that's more adversarial. I think we are taught from a an early age almost that um, we need to, that somebody else. Well, that conflict has to be about win lose, and that someone else needs to fix it for us. Hi, I'm Carlos, co-founder of the Happy Startup School, and welcome to our Happy Startup Community podcast. Along this journey of building the Happy Startup School, I've had the privilege of meeting amazing people from around the world. Whether it was across a banqueting table at our summer camp festival, or sat at a beach cafe in Goa during one of our retreats, each of them had fascinating stories to tell and interesting ideas to share that have changed how I look at business and life. This podcast is my effort to share these conversations with you and to open up your horizons to new perspectives and ways of viewing the world. I hope they become a source of inspiration, learning and connection. Enjoy. Learning about non-violent communication has been a game changer for me. As a child, I'd always struggled to deal with difficult emotions and so would either lash out in anger or, what was more often the case, would cry with frustration. I learned that expressing emotions was weak and so I decided to suppress them. However, in doing so, I limited the development of my own emotional vocabulary and the abilities to practice empathy. This was ironic since I had a deep need for connection and community. In a world that feels ever more divisive and disconnected, the ability to practice deep empathy is fundamentally important. In this conversation with Becky Takuna, happy startup community member and professional mediator, we talk about the importance of empathy when helping others navigate periods of conflict and change. We discuss the difference between empathy and sympathy, and how when we judge and try to fix other people's emotions, we end up invalidating their experience. We then lose the opportunity for deep connection and make it harder for them to process what they're feeling and then move forward with clarity. Sometimes we just need to sit in that turbulent space and feel what needs to be felt without judgment or resistance. This takes practice and requires us to learn more about why we feel what we feel. I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, my back is uh, was better yesterday. My sister is a or um, well, training to be a physio, uh, and she had her uh, a massage table and did the treatment on me yesterday. Straight after that, it felt really nice, loosened up, all good. And then later in the afternoon and today, now it's just gone a bit funny again. So, um, oh, yeah, it's, it's it's really annoying how these physical things can affect the quality of your thinking and your mood yeah back pain is um it's kind of quite all in uh what's the word it just takes over i think doesn't it yes well lawrence um he's he had a uh an accident uh many years ago while he was traveling around new zealand which really did bad damn bad some bad damage to his back and he's always suffered from back pain so i think it's um He's he's been saying that yeah it's it's it is debilitating and you have to really look after your your back and yeah. I think from his perspective as well it's it's also a very good signal of when he should rest yeah and when it's time time to stop which yeah. some many of us uh, without those kind of uh, physical um, warning sim <laughs> signals forget to do that resting until yeah. it actually falls all falls apart yeah. Yeah, we get pain for a reason, don't we? That warning signal. Yes, exactly. This and it's um, and again linked to a podcast I did with Max, uh, Max St. John, a couple of episodes ago. Mm. It's learning to listen to our bodies. Yeah. Um, and and learning a new way of listening, I think, is is the the thing that I got from it as well. Yeah, yeah, listening inwards as well. Yeah, it's important. Yes, so much. Unfortunately. Especially when you've got kids, yeah. you get a bit too noisy and you don't get a chance to really sit down and listen to yourself as much. No, I feel like it's a it's a luxury. I don't afford myself very much anymore. It shouldn't be a luxury. <laughs> you don't need to go out the window with your kids, I think. Um, exactly, so exactly. 
Yeah. And it is that it is that challenge of like, you know, these little things that really require your attention and you you also have a vision for who they should be and you want to make sure that they're the best they can be yeah. uh, and how that can then drown out. Actually, not only drown out, make the idea of looking after yourself seem selfish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then when we do reconnect with what we need, and particularly if it's kind of what our body needs, it's amazing how much more we're able to give afterwards. Yes. We forget that until we do it. I went to a um, salsa class the other day, a couple of nights ago for the first time in about, I don't know, well, since kids anyway, first time in maybe eight years or something. And I felt so good for it just to be doing something physical uh, where you just immerse yourself in the you're in the moment and you're not thinking, you're not looking after anyone. <laughs> um, it's important. I um, there's a podcast that's going to come out next week, uh, and what, through the one of the things that came out of the conversation was the idea, you know, like on planes, give oxygen to yourself before you try and help others. Yeah, yeah. Or else, yeah, you're not going to necessarily help in the best way you can. Yeah, absolutely. And if we if we're disconnected from ourselves, we often can't kind of help others. Well, connect to others or help them to connect to themselves oh yeah. yes mm. and that that's a that's a nice little link to your nvc work yeah it is yeah self self-empathy um self-empathy yeah uh but before we jump into that um yeah. let's give let's give people a a bit of an idea because this is this is the second time we're trying to record this thing <laughs> <laughs> let's, hope, let's hope it's an improvement not a you know <laughs> fingers crossed the the internet gremlins aren't going to be against us yeah. um but yeah let, let's go through the routine again let's see what we can remember what we said yesterday right. <laughs> um and yeah let's let let's give uh, this listener who's who's joined us a bit of a um an idea of who you are and what you do at the moment and and the journey you took to getting to where you are now. Yeah, okay. So in terms of who I am at the moment, I'm and what I'm doing at the moment, I um, live in Brighton. I went self-employed, um, became self-employed at the end of last year, so it hasn't been that long. Um, and I, my work focus is... I, I help organizations to um, to to build I guess more em empathetic or empathic workplaces so more empathic organizations people and the, the teams um, that they operate within and the the most the primary way I do that at the moment is through mediation so I go in and um, when a conflict has escalated quite a quite far it's generally gone nuclear I um I I facilitate conversations uh, between the warring parties so it could be two people or it could be a whole team that's um in conflict with each other or with their manager and I help them to to talk to each other and to um work out how to how to build more effective relationship and to work through the conflict um so I do a lot of mediation and I also do uh conflict coaching for people that are in conflict or for managers or leaders trying to um, work with conflict to help them to kind of understand themselves in conflict and others in conflict. Um, and then I do workshops, so difficult conversations, uh, nonviolent communication, which you mentioned, um, emotional intelligence, that assertive conversations, all of that kind of thing. Um, yeah, uh, so it's a, I suppose it, I do a lot that's about resolving conflict, but what I'm really passionate about is equipping people and teams and organizations to grow through conflict and to transform conflict. So to deepen their understanding of themselves and each other through it and to deepen um, their relationships through it. So it's the kind of transformative piece that I'm excited about and that I, I love doing. Um, and often that can um, impact on how organizations are, are run as well. Um, it's a, it, there's kind of a strategic piece in there too which is exciting and that's where I'm now yeah and you you've not always done that um or or have you what what, what 
how did you get how did you get onto this path so um i i definitely feel like i've been um in some ways mediating all my life i didn't know i was doing that until uh i discovered the word mediation which didn't really happen until my early 20s but looking back then and hearing what my parents or siblings say to me and friends i think it's definitely peacemaking and mediations is in my blood and i think um i uh in terms of my journey i guess i got um uh, my mum's from northern ireland she grew up through and lived through the troubles in northern ireland um so that was quite a that was kind of a quite a a, a topic in our our house and I grew up in just outside London um and my dad's from India um and grew up in a in a you know in a, a lot of poverty and um so my I guess that gave me those two things combined gave me quite a I guess an interest in um in social justice and fairness um but also in um, in conflict and um, conflict resolution, um, and I'm, I'm a middle child, so I feel like I I spent quite a lot of my childhood um, mediating, probably not very effectively, but um, whether between siblings or with between uh, my parents at times. Um, I think that's something about the nature of being a middle child, and uh, I'm always told by by family members that. I was always kind of wanting to include people. So I guess that there's values that, that are core to me that um important to me that that is what drew me to mediation and why I love mediation, values around kind of justice and fairness in relationships and in organizations, inclusion, openness, honesty, compassion, authenticity. So so it started kind of early, I guess. But then I, I went to university um and uh had a gap year before that in the Middle East. Um, I guess learned a bit about Israel and Palestine in particular. Uh, at university, I became a campaigner, kind of got really into social justice campaigning through People and Planet um, a Society there, and um, and I and I guess I went back and spent more time in the Middle East after university and travelled around quite a lot. Um, and what I, I I came back even more of a campaigner, I guess, but. Um, and wanting to to really interested in the conflict there between Israelis and Palestinians, um, wanting to address some of the root causes of that conflict around injustices um, and and the occupation. Um, but I think I was quite driven by anger in many ways. I was quite a kind of a, a, yeah, I was an angry campaigner. I used to row with my dad about it all the time because he had a very different perspective on the situation. Um, and then uh, I I. I um I discovered it was actually an event in brief an event that I was doing public speaking when I got back about the situation and whenever you talk about the Middle East I think there's always very as you can imagine very disparate views on it and every public speaking session that I did there would be people that would come along ready to give their view like angry about what I was going to say before I'd even said it or anticipating what I was going to say and um and I had I did two talks and one went kind of really it was quite derailed by that and it was quite adversarial and then the second one was dramatically different and it was because it was facilitated really artfully by somebody who I found out afterwards was a trained mediator and at the end of that session I said to him what what how did you do that and he told me about mediation and basically what he'd done to transform that that whole conversation and that meeting was he'd listened and acknowledged the um the anger, the concerns that that people and views that people were bringing, um, heard them and and didn't kind of ignore them, and so it was a very different space. Um, he facilitated it really well. So I discovered mediation. I went away and trained as a mediator, and it was like kind of coming home, realizing who I was in some ways, and um, I kind of realized there was a different way to campaign that was uh, less violent, and I mean kind of. I don't mean physically violent, but you know, that was based on that was drawing on the principles of nonviolence that I could still care about injustice, but I could listen to um, those I didn't agree with in a different way, and that that's often more effective way of challenging injustice, and model a kind of modelling a different way to campaign. Um, so, uh, and I guess I realised that 
yeah, there's violence in in me and there's violence in um, in all of us. Um, and it's not a case of kind of victims and oppressors or uh, it's not as straightforward as that. There's oppressors are often victims themselves. So Israeli soldiers at checkpoints hearing some of some stories there, uh, speaking to some Israeli soldiers and realising that they're victims too um, um, of an, an injustice um, and of violence. Um, and yeah, so, um, and alongside that, I, I, I guess I was interested, I was working in the charity sector at the time and I, I was getting kind of, I guess, quite frustrated by and saddened by what I saw as a bit of a mismatch between um, the mission that a lot of organisations, a lot of charities or social um, businesses have. Uh, they have a, um, they have a, a mission that's about changing the world and um, building a more just world, but that's often not mirrored by their their culture and their values are often not being lived out um, within the business or the charity or the organisation. And so, uh, so staff are often burnt out, unhappy, disengaged, feeling they're not being listened to, they're being done to. Um, so I really wanted to, I guess, with my newfound mediation skills, I really wanted to change that and to look at that um, building healthier cultures in organisations that aligned more with mission, uh, living out those values. So I um, I moved into a into the field of workplace mediation um, and practiced for for a few years as a mediator, trainer, um, consultant, helping other businesses to and organisations to um, embed mediation or, or handle conflict um, well. Um, engage with their staff more effectively um, and then I kind of moved into a leadership role so I was director in the mediation company working alongside the CEO and the founder um, and um, and that was probably the most exciting role that I've had in many ways um, to be managing and supervising a team of mediators um, and I went on to a couple of other roles so CEO roles in a couple of charities and I guess the reason for that was that I wanted to really be able to shape the values and culture of of a organization and to feel what that was like to actually be leading those organizations and um shaping them um and and for me I guess what I've, I've always thought I've always um believed that mediation skills are probably the most powerful skills that are most effective skills that a manager or leader can ever have because um, they're, they're quite diverse skills. But I think if managers and leaders can can listen, so from the outset, I often find as a mediator that situations have gone wrong, uh, conflict, conflicts have um, escalated because either the way a manager started in role, they, they didn't listen, um, or sometimes it's that the other second scenario is that there's crisis or change or something difficult going on in the organization and at that point that people were lost uh in that they're they're not engaged with and not listened to so for me the um it was a really exciting to be able to lead a couple of organizations through um crisis change conflict um and and having listening exercises uh ensuring that taking staff with me rather than um rather than them feeling done to um so yeah and then um to bring you up to speed then from there very in brief i um made moved to i had a had a couple of children and moved to brighton in the mix of all of that and decided to um go go freelance in the autumn last year um i guess wanting to bring together the leadership experience which I really loved, but but also with the bringing it together with the mediation stuff and going back to being a consultant, um, but primarily supporting leaders and managers um, to work with with conflict and challenge more effectively. Um, yeah, so uh, that was probably even longer than the first time around, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. I think. Uh... So the the story I heard there was there was this this original um, instinct for um, a need to be the mediator um, 
to be the person to to keep the peace or or restore the peace. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and and then there was this this drive, this energy, or this need to to campaign for social justice and to to and this need to see fairness in the world. Um, and you and you try to do that in certain ways, but you you recognize the violence in yourself and in people when they're trying to make things happen. Uh, and yeah. it sounded very you know th- the thing that's jumped out with me for me in that story was this experience of two scenarios where one scenario there was a lot of conflict and in another scenario because of the way this person seemed to masterfully mediate the the situation it was a completely different experience and that's something that um switched the light bulb in your head it sounded like which was the scenario? Which one was that? I think that? this was the, <laughs> the mediator that you were talking about, where you gave a talk, I think. Uh, I think oh, you talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, talking about right. Palestine, yeah. I think. or There seems yeah, to be two situations right. there. And, yeah, and, yeah. And you saw the I'm... power of of being, of listening and giving space yeah. to, to for people to be heard. And, and the big thing yeah. there, I think, is this idea of empathy. And to be able to, yeah. to create empathy and and to feel um, unpleasant emotions mm. uh, rather yeah. and, and understand them or accept them rather than squash them um, yeah. and, and try, or, or dismiss them, which kind of for me leads on to one of the reasons that sparked this idea of talking to each other on this on the podcast was your article about the fruit fly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to share that with, yeah. with people just to, so yeah. they understand? Um, yeah. So I've got a, a five-year-old son who's a, a sensitive, very sensitive little boy at times. <laughs> and um, I, I, recently he, um, he I, I, he's been teaching me a few things, lessons about empathy um, that uh, have been really kind of um, enriching for me and inspiring for me and one was um I wrote that article about was he came downstairs uh crying his eyes out um and holding a little dead fruit fly in his hand and he was crying because he'd killed it by mistake um and it, it was a quite a profound moment for me because I uh, it had echoes of what I was like as a child where I was always uh rescuing animals or insects stag beetles trying not to cycle over ants trying to you know trying not to uh you know try to be non-violent I guess from an early age um and uh so he he was really distraught that he'd killed this fruit fly and he want he he was also distraught at the thought of putting it in the bin and he um, wanted to bury it, basically, <laughs> bury it in the garden. He'd seen, a, I think, a TV programme, Bing, where Bing had killed a butterfly and they buried it in the garden. And I think I think that was probably in his mind or it shaped this. So um, it was a really, it wasn't nice like this. It must have been a couple of months ago, but it was a really, it was dark. And it was, it must have been a few months ago, actually, because it was dark, cold and rainy. And um, there was no way I was going to go out in the garden and bury a fruit fly with him because I have my two-year-old to look after at the same time. Um, and and so I was really torn because I my what I nearly did, and I think what often we do in those kinds of situations, particularly with children, but with adults too, I think, is in the face of strong emotion like that, that let's face it, isn't logical um, in that in some senses of the word, it was just a fruit fly we want to kind of take away the stop stop the emotion uh minimize it you know say don't worry it's okay only a fruit fly only lives a day in a way it would have died in a way don't worry um it will be fine let's just move on or let's kind of go and play distract all these techniques that we use i think when someone when we're feeling uncomfortable with the display of strong emotion and what i so i had to kind of uh stop myself from doing that and what I um, realized in that moment was that what he most needed was very simple, really. It was empathy. It was, and by empathy, I mean that, because um, I see it's very distinct from sympathy, but the, I, the ability to understand and care about what someone else is feeling 
but not try to change it or put my own spin on it or minimize it or judge it or evaluate it. Just be present with him and ask him things like, or you know, notice that say, oh, it looks like you're you're really sad about that, and that's really difficult, isn't it? And what um, uh, what what do you what do you need? You need a cuddle, um, and just noticing kind of how he was feeling and letting him experience that and slowing it down in some ways rather than trying to move on. Um, and for, for me, that's quite a, it, it really connects with a lot of the work I do with, um, adults who are in conflict, mostly at work, um, where so often I think what people do in the situations where they experience, they see strong emotion is, they either kind of, well, they judge it in some way. They either sympathize and get on board with it, but in some ways that's a very disempowering approach because you're take, trying to, you're making it about you when you sympathize. I think it's like, oh, I would have done the same thing. Oh, I had something similar. Oh, you poor thing, let's take this away, um, which is quite disempowering for the person. Or, or they kind of judge and evaluate and critique it. Um, and I think empathy is a, is, is far more powerful, but probably because it's empowering and and through giving space to some someone. I know it's a silly example, really, the fruit fly, but for a five year old, that was a profound thing, I guess, starting to learn about death, um, and uh, and that's complicated. So letting him sit with that and sitting with him in that kind of com- complexity, rather than trying to take it away and devalue it, and then f- through that after some a little bit of time i think then when we do empathize with how someone's feeling what they might need um and we've allowed them to express their strong emotion then i think they're more ready to they start to kind of shift gear and become go back into a more logical space i guess where they can think about okay what next um what we're going to do about this or then later i was able to have the conversation with him about how fruit flies do only live a day um and it would have died anyway. Uh, so I was able to have that conversation with him. And now he's able to talk about that quite factually because, um, yeah, he saw a dead fruit fly the other day. Um, yeah. So um, for someone who's listening to this, uh, I think yeah. uh, there's there's a couple of things that maybe we could just dive into a little bit deeper. Um, maybe just exploring this difference between sympathy and empathy. Um, yeah. And another aspect for me is what stops, or well, let me put this one. I, I personally, I observe um, a lot of the time people not being able to express empathy. And so it'd be mm. interesting to hear your perspective of why that is. You know, you talked about uncomfortable emotions or challenging emotions, but what is it that stops people from? being able to sit with that and to to do what you told you say you know to be with with that complexity so um yeah so yeah because a lot of the people it is sympathy they they feel they need to give but at the same time i always got confused between sympathy and empathy yeah and there's no great definitions out there to be honest and they vary so much i think it's a great question and in some ways through my practice i've developed my own definitions that um so that i think uh are helpful and more or and meaningful, but I think great questions. So, in terms of the sympathy versus empathy piece, um, maybe it'd be helpful to give a couple of example, an example from a case that I worked on not that long ago, which was a, a team in conflict. Um, senior team uh, at face value seemed quite emotionally intelligent, and they all uh, would describe themselves, I think, as very caring and compassionate and empathic, um, and describe themselves and each other. I think they really saw themselves as a very caring team and they really presented in that way. What I realized was that when I actually brought them all together um, to talk about the various conflicts that they were experiencing that had escalated quite far, um, what I realized was that it was sympathy that I was seeing, not empathy. And that was based, so one person um, would if somebody one person was speaking uh there would always be somebody else speaking about something difficult they were experiencing from their perspective there would always be one of their colleagues at any one time would be crying um 
at what they were hearing. And um, and then somebody else would always be handing out tissues to the person that was crying or the people that were crying. It was like a little ritual almost. Um, and what, what was interesting was that after each person, when someone then had space to respond, or even when I asked them to summarize um, what the person before had said, they were they were listening through the lens of their own experience. So they were projecting a lot of their own experiences on what they were hearing rather than really doing really deep listening to what that person was saying, thinking, feeling, and why. And, um, and so uh, there was a real absence of kind of that deep, deep listening and there was an absence of empathy. And I think it was because they were so absorbed in their own stuff. And it kind of comes to your other question around blocks to empathy. I think when we're, so I might try and answer the two together, but when I think when we're, Often, not many of us are kind of comfortable, I think, in um, high high stakes conflict or highly emotive situations. I think for most of us, fight, fight or flight kicks in, a like, you know, a evolutionary uh, um, survival instinct kicks in where, um, and there's ne- neurological reasons for that, what happens in our brain. But I think when, so for some, it's displays of anger that, um, or feeling anger themselves or displaying, seeing a display for someone else and they, they shut down, they retreat, they, they want to kind of uh, get out of that situation. And, um, and I think that the sympathy piece is a part of that. I think it's a block. I think that kind of fight or flight thing can be a block to empathy that there's a, I think fear can be a big block to empathy because we want the situation to kind of go away. Whereas actually what empathy is about I think is allowing that person to to feel strong stuff because it's theirs and and it's valid and it's important and it's only through them sitting with it and and then someone maybe help helping them to explore it that that um that they can move beyond it um so sympathy I think is trying to fix something empathy is isn't trying to fix it empathy is is um help me understand what, what you're feeling and why, um, what's so difficult for you about, about this, this situation. Um, and, um, and in the, the team that I described, the, the um, situation was trans, the, started to shift and the dynamics in the room started to shift um, after they learned deep listening. It took about a day of me working with them to really slow the conversations down to uninterrupted speaking time um, and making sure before anyone responded that they summarized. And sometimes they have to summarize 10 times, even though these were people who were really, you know, intelligent and in many ways used to emotional kind of conversations. It sometimes took about 10 times of summarizing before they, the person could say, you've got it, um, you've understood. And I got them to switch seats and all kinds of exercises. Um, but it was it was teaching them empathy, really teaching them deep listening that I think leads to empathy. Um, and uh, but I had to kind of hold the mirror up first and say to them that what I thought I was seeing was sympathy, not empathy. And I think it was a bit of a light bulb moment for them realizing that and then practicing something different. And it was then that I think um, you can start. I think it's in terms of your question about how to help people empathize if they're, it doesn't come naturally. Cause I see empathy as, as a, I guess, um, both, a, I think it's for some, it's a strength, like a, something natural that we're born with, that it comes easier to others. But I also see it as a skill that can be honed and refined. Um, but it takes kind of discipline and practice. And I think, um, the, I suppose there's a, if you're imagining a cycle, I think it begins with, or often can begin with curiosity, being curious uh, enough about the other person, opening, asking open questions and coming from a curious kind of mindset. Um, and then I think next is that if we're curious, we can do some of that deep listening that I was kind of talking about. And I think that leads to an awareness of ourselves and the other person that then I think opens the door for empathy because in my experience as a mediator it's only when we really see the other person's or a party to a conflict really sees the other person's pain and hears it and really gets it maybe summarizes it um sees it from the other person's perspective that they they then start to feel something i think which is empathy it's that kind of um connection with what they're saying 
and then I think it leads to more curiosity. You can then explore more about, uh, and that kind of cycle continues. Um, so I don't know if that answers your questions in a very kind of convoluted way. No, it, yes. Yes, it does. And it also just inspired some thoughts in my head when you were talking about fight or flight and sympathy and and then um, being in your own, in a sense, pain. Um, what I what I came across to for me was when someone is experiencing a challenging emotion or even a complex set of emotions and exhibiting that, um, they're creating a space. Uh, they have this circle around them, this idea of a circle around them where there's a, a messy space of emotion. And then I, I think of someone who is who is showing sympathy as seeing that space but retreating from it and retreating into their own space of messy emotion. And so there's a detachment then. While there's, they're trying, they, they feel that they're trying to be in the same place as the other person, what they've done is they've retreated to their own place and then lived that experience rather than the other word that came up for me was, was being present. And I think actually what you did was actually said, by being curious, you then become present, which means stepping into that circle of the other person where it is all uncomfortable and, and messy, but being curious about that space and then that being creating the awareness of, ah, so this is what it's like to be here yeah. where you are. Yeah, I think that's lovely um, what you've just said. And I think I completely agree with that. I think it's and I think there's a choice involved there. It's a, about choosing to be curious and to step into that space despite the messiness. And um, and the present being present is so important, I think, Um People often think I'm talking about meditation when they hear mediation, but I actually think there's a really kind of, there's a dovetailing in some ways that I think in conflict work, there's, um, I, I often use mindfulness kind of techniques um, and practices because so much of it is about, and I did that with the team I was talking about, so much of it is about really being present and noticing our own feelings in, a mo in the moment because those feelings um, point to what our needs might be um and but also to be present to and notice other people's feelings and, and needs um so I think you're I think that's spot on and I think what you said is true about the messy space and the I like that about the the, the in when we go into sympathy mode there's a bit of a detachment um and that we retreat uh because it feels safer um but there's also conversely I think then the strategies we often use if we're sympathizing I think are about kind of getting too involved whereas I think empathy manages to be present but without taking over so there was another little you know um example from my son where he um that was different to how this team reacted when they saw each other's pain what this team were doing was they got kind of flooded with their own emotions and then it became it shifted it all became about them and that's so hard for me to hear that whereas recently my another article where it was about my daughter fell off her chair it was quite a big bump and she was crying her eyes out it was quite kind of she clearly hurt her head um and other and her back and everything bumping down off their chair and I sat on the floor and was just cuddling her and comforting her while she was crying and my son um who's a bit older who's five as I said he I suddenly realized he he was crying his eyes out too but quietly and he came over and he just gave her a cuddle he was kind of hiding that he was crying a little bit and it was really beautiful because what I realized was he 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 was really kind of he really cared that she was in pain it was really deep empathy but he wasn't making it about him he wasn't kind of trying to detract from her pain he just kind of knew it was about her in that moment does that make sense mm, very much I I I yeah I I I've had experience it might experience like that with my um my sister um and i and she seems to uh, now i understand from what you're saying is like she she experiences a lot of empathy or she, she's a very empathic person and i used to think in a really horrible way it's like stop crying it's not you it's that person why are you making it about yourself but i mm -hmm. i see now that it, it was actually 
you know, it wasn't about that. It was just feeling that hurt and trying to be present with what was going on with the other person. Yeah. It may being about them. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And if, so long as it can be turned into, so long as the action that we take, I think as a result of it stays about the other person and is empowering. Mm. um, Because I think at that point there's a, if we're feeling a lot because the other person is feeling a lot, like I well up if someone tells me a, a, a something that's really sad or painful for them. Um, but what I work on, again, I think at that point it's about discipline and practice and choice. That At that point I make sure that the what I do or say next is empowering rather than disempowering. You know, it's not about taking it away or making it about me crying because mm. they're crying. It's about, uh, or it's not about poor me. It's about, or poor them. It's about kind of what are you what are you feeling right now? What do you need right now? Um, mm. Yeah. And so, um, what what is the, what are the dangers or potentially long term effects of ignoring empathy, of of retreating or dismissing from your experience mm. of seeing that? And whether I think let's take it in organisations, for instance, because that's maybe why many people might be interested in how it affects their businesses yeah i think well i think i see it having a really profound um effect um it, in that it it leads to i think oh, the, the quite often the antecedent of of it could be um a, a seem like a small thing so often when i mediate when we strip back all of the kind of layers of what's happened, we might go back to a kind of a really seemingly small thing that had a profound impact on that person. And it's often that um, they, or sometimes it's that they, in that moment, they felt like they were shut down um, and they, they felt angry or upset or frustrated because they didn't have a voice in that moment. Um, and so I think organizationally, um, it has a big impact, and particularly um, where there's quite, there's often big stuff going on, you know, whether it's that there's a, uh, there's important um, projects that are being worked on with significant um, goals, et cetera, and important work that has to be done. And those, uh, those kind of residual feelings have an impact on how people, what, what people bring to work and how they do their work. But also I think it when when then an organization hits a difficult patch, it's all amplified. Um, so so often that's when I think there needs to be more opening up and conversations about um, feelings and needs, which might feel uncomfortable, but so often when that's most needed, you know, in times of where people might be facing a significant change a merger or a or redundancies or a financial crisis um whatever it might be or even performance management all of those kinds of things i think sadly i think most of the time managers and leaders uh retreat in those situations and they become quite procedural they fall back on formal procedures when actually what's most needed is is humanity and empathy and um I, I had to. I've had a couple of experiences in different organisations. One was a small business, and one was a charity that that I that I was running, and where um, we hit financial crisis, and um, and had to. I had to manage a team through in both situations through that financial crisis, and it, the learning for me that was that the most important thing I could do was to create spaces for people to talk about the difficult stuff so just asking and actually in good times as well I try to do that as a manager to just say in team meetings is there anything that's bugging anyone anything that anyone needs to feedback to me anything that's difficult and just have a space for people to talk about that but it's even more important in times of kind of crisis or change or conflict so just create a space regularly where it's okay for people to to show strong emotions um and and it's amazing how far that that goes um it then leads, in my experience, it leads to, uh, it means that people stay engaged and motivated through those tough times and you can build a sense of team and all, all kind of trying to get through it together rather than uh, people feeling kind of done to um, and ignored or bypassed. Um, 
So I don't know if that answers your question. I feel like I went a bit all over the place no, there. But, uh, I think so. So the way I, I interpret that is when, when you ignore empathy um, and, you, and you retreat from people who are expressing um, complex or uncomfortable emotions, particularly through periods of um, change and uncertainty, but it feels yeah. like you, even before you got to that point, so, you know, there's there's going to be some a financially rocky period or um, there's going to be some restructuring or whatever is happening in the organization. If up to then you've never really given space for people to share their emotions or, or to, to be present with other people's emotions, it sounds like you create, um, you've already got a separation between you yeah. and the people. And so when the, when the fit hits the shan and everything is going really <laughs> badly and emotions are even higher, then those walls are going to get even more strong. And so when you are needing people to be, to be, to be together the most, they will potentially be the furthest apart. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And people are mistrustful already um, and don't feel safe, so they're less likely to be open and honest. Um, and that's really destructive for their own well-being and for the organisation because they're then this is all festering. Um, so it's about um, yeah, it's about kind of fostering an environment where um, where people are able to be open and honest um, about how they're feeling, um, what's bugging them, what they're worried about, and and especially when yeah, even when it's kind of counterintuitive. What I think is quite interesting is you know, often when I think uh, businesses hit a, a difficult period. So the, the one of the ones I described where I knew that I knew that to be able to for the business to survive, I, um, we needed to um, really we needed to get money in in terms of credit control. We needed to sell uh, like nobody's business and secure some big sales. And we needed to. Um, uh, what was the other thing? Yeah, and we needed to kind of the other side of it was cut cut our cut our costs quite quickly, um, and so that I guess for some leaders there's a tendency to just go into that task mode and just do it and try and get be speedy. You know, just we've got to be productive. We've got to. There's a lot that needs to be done. The stakes are really high. But I think that the what's most needed in those times is to make people. I think to be able to make people effective that so that they can all do those things. Um, there's a need to just look after people's emotional needs because while they're in that emotional place, they can't, they're in fight or flight, they can't be productive, they can't think logically. So what I did was I create, created the spaces for everyone to express how they were feeling, etc. I was still upfront with them and transparent and all those things. But then together, as it we we worked out how we were going to do it, and I obviously brought ideas into the mix as others did. But then, basically, we the business for a while transformed into you know we had those three functions. Some people were looking at budget and cut, cutting costs. Some people were phoning up people that owed us money, businesses that owed us money, and some people were selling, playing to kind of different strengths and things. And it, it's amazing, I think, how much people can achieve, even when if they're feeling that stuff, but it's been heard. Um, they, they are then more productive, I think. The, um, the thing that sprang out for me is when we are in a state of fear, it's very hard to be creative. Yeah. And so when yeah. you are needing creative solutions and when you are needing people to be able to step up, you what you were saying there, I hear, was you need to have them in a place where their emotions have been... Um, I hate. I don't want to use the word "taking control of," but they are. They've been. They've been processed in a sense. I think. Or they've been, yeah. They've, yeah. They've been let allowed to flow. Yeah, it's something about. I think it's quite. It's about. Um, I'm a big believer in noticing and naming stuff. So, uh, noticing and naming the emotion. So, I, what I'm hearing from you. This is important as a mediator, but also as a leader. I think what I'm hearing is that you're you're feeling really worried and anxious about the future of your role. Um, so it's that kind of noticing it, naming it, normalizing it. I think there's another N is uh, about kind of saying, I completely, it's completely normal to feel and understandable that you would feel that at a really stressful time like this. Um, so you're not kind of trying to take it away or say that's not, there's no place for this. You're saying 
it's okay for you to feel that. Um, and I, that in my experience, just those things, you see people's shoulders kind of drop in terms of people, they breathe again, just to know that it's been validated, just to know that they've been heard, really heard. And, and then from that, you can explore a bit what, what would help you to, um, what would reassure you or what would help you to, uh, be able to kind of, you know, if, if there isn't any reassurance, it would be, it's like, well, what can we do to enable you to deal with this messy situation where there is a lot of risk we're all facing, we're in uncertain times, but we also need to work together. What can, what can you do? What can we do? What do you need? Um, so you can then explore and problem solve because you've shifted a bit. The emotion isn't what's driving them. Um, mm. It's there, but they can, um, they, and, and in mediation, it's amazing how people can never quite believe it until they experience it or see it, I think, in a role, even if it's a role play. Um, but there's a, I'd say probably two thirds of a day, if I bring two people together, is about the tough stuff. It's about the now and the past and the strong emotions. Mm. Um, but it's amazing how when they've heard each other and empathized and connected, they've and heard each other's feelings, understood the impact on each other. It's like a a, a switch is flipped, flipped <laughs> almost. And suddenly their brain is, they start to problem solve without even knowing it. They start to think about the future and the what, what ifs and the, how they could work better together because they're out of um, destructive conflict mode. They're out of fight or flight, mm. that emotional space that we get stuck in. I, I, the image that I had in my head is this, you know, like a really rough sea, you know, turbulency, huge waves, water crashing onto your little boat. And mm. then what happens is when, when you're able to ride out that storm and then the, the sea flattens, you get to see, actually, the island was just over there. That's where you need to get yeah. to. It's so clear. But yeah. until then, when the waves were getting in the way and everything was going up and down and you're right in the thick of it, you couldn't see it because the the emotions were in the way or you you were lost in those emotions. Yeah, I, I, um, I love that analogy. I think that's beautiful and really, um, really apt. Um, and it feels like it's going to be like that forever. It feels so rocky or stormy mm. that you can't as you say you can't see beyond the waves um yeah so um, for someone well actually you know we now you know we've got to said this is what happens if you don't actually address these things and you don't try and practice this this idea of empathy with people and, and and the practice of deep listening why is it you think that people don't practice empathy what is it you well, you know, are there are a couple of things that you've identified that you've seen in your experience that's been the, the blocker for people mm. in empathy? Yeah. Good question. Um I I think that there's a I, I mean I think that there's a lot of societal reasons. I think I think that we're not taught empathy. I think it is a skill that could be learnt. Um uh, some people will never be deeply empathic, but they can learn. They can learn to practice empathy. I think, um, and I think it changes you when you do. And I think we're not taught it enough. So um, in schools, in workplaces, and I, I, I also think there's. Um, I think that there's also a deep kind of societal problem around. I, I think we're we're taught something that's more adversarial. I think we are taught from a an early age almost that um we need to, that somebody else well that conflict has to be about win-lose and that someone else needs to fix it for us so I think that goes from children in the playground um going to tell a grown-up or a parent or a teacher that someone's been mean to them and expecting that teacher to tell the other person off um and then I think it continues in the workplace people do the same they expect their manager to tell some tell the person that they're wrong, the other person that they're wrong. Um, and um, and then we see it in terms of government and parliament and how decisions are made and in the criminal justice system. And I think there's a, there's the, that honest dialogue, face-to-face, uh, face, sorry, um, direct dialogue is um, just, it, we're not taught it, I think. And, um, and I think it is, goes back to, so I think it's something about um, we're almost hardwired not to do it. Um, 
because the more if we get when we get a third person to uh, intervene and s- sort it out for us, and in, uh, in workplaces that's through formal, often formal procedures, disciplinary procedures, or grievance procedures, maybe bullying and harassment procedures. Um, we we then don't get to have the connection with the person. We're not actually seeing them as a human being. We've labelled them as a as a bully or whatever it might be. Um, and that's kind of how they, 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 they stay almost. We don't have the connection that enables us to learn empathy, to realise that there were reasons for why they behaved in the way they did. They didn't maybe intend to have the impact they had. Um, so I think it kind of goes quite deep. And I think, and then there's the other side of it, I think is that, yeah, people, I think we naturally view conflict as something that's dangerous and to be avoided. It's that, again, that evolutionary survival instinct that conversely, kind of it is the doesn't meet our needs it often we're it it leads to less connected relationships I think um where we you know we might deeply want somebody to to listen and empathize with us and that might be kind of what we're needing from in that moment but we something kind of shuts down in us because we're fearful or they're not listening or whatever and we get angry and then we push them away when actually what we want is is connection um so yeah so, so it sounds about teaching people it sounds like it's a, there's a combination of a cultural thing a need to be wrong or right an adversarial aspect yeah. of conflict or even in any kind of a situation where you you are with someone who's expressing some painful emotion or some really unpleasant emotion um there's that i it feels like there's a fear. People are, are fearful of that. And it's something that, that seems to be about their experience of complex emotions or unpleasant emotions yeah. and their ability to yeah. deal with that. Yeah. And and then that is brought, that's what they then bring into their workplace relationships as well as other relationships. And and I think then, then what it feels safer probably to deal at the level of behaviours, you know, if there's inappropriate behaviours, whether it's in the school school playground or at work, I think it's very similar. We deal with the people that are um, disciplined or spoken to you know, seriously about how they're behaving, um, whether it's shouting or whatever it is, but they're the symptoms. What needs to happen, I think, is the treating, the working out what the root cause is and the root cause causes are the feelings underneath those behaviours and the needs underneath those um, like a volcano, I kind of see it as it's um, good, not just looking at the lava and the destruction that's being caused, but is the why, the what's underneath that's pushing all of that up. Um, well, that feels yeah. like a, a potentially a whole different conversation around NVC and um, being yeah. able to link these yeah. feelings with uh, emotions with needs. Uh, but um, yeah. I, uh, that that could be a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> yeah so yeah thank you very much for <laughs> i think there's a lot there i've learned really about and, and some really interesting ways of looking at how empathy is isn't being used uh, and what happens when it's is not not brought or not practiced uh, but also yeah. the power of 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 using it when particularly when when you get to a point of difficulty or challenge and you need people to come together thank you it's been um it's been really lovely to to talk about empathy for an hour with you and and hear your insights and you you're very good at uh at practicing it yeah yeah you've modeled modeled some good active listening or deep listening with your lovely summaries um Great. <laughs> Thank you. I enjoy this, and this is definitely a journey that I'm on, on on trying to understand how this works. I find actually the true test of whether you can practice NVC or empathy is being able to talk to your parents and not yeah. get lost <laughs> in the storm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the relationship closest to home, isn't it? It's like something. Um... Something just so instinctive comes out in us, doesn't it? Well, it's, you uh, mentioned the volcano, and I think it's that. It's, it, yeah. it is. There's a power that can get unleashed that no matter how much training you may have and how enlightened you yeah. may be, it feels, well, personally, 
maybe some people are a bit better at this than I am, but it, it can be hard to control. No, I think you're not alone in that. <laughs> yeah, it's something about we become like children when we're in conflict. And I think if it's with our parents, we, we revert back to that childishness. And um, it's like we need to do it almost. It's a... Um, but yeah, it's a very difficult dynamic to navigate. <laughs> so to finish off, what um, you know, you've been a member now of our community for nearly yeah. seven, six months now. Um, yeah. And I'm curious to find out, you know, get, for you to well to share what what has been useful for you, uh, being part of the Happy Startup School, and and mm. how you came across it. You know what what what. What attracted you to, to joining us? Yeah, well, it's been um, it's been a great experience. Um, I well, Brighton's. I've only been in Brighton for three years, um, and I only became self employed, as I said, kind of maybe eight nine months ago, so end of last year. And um, so, from a work perspective, um, Brighton's a new community for me. And what I really um, want, wanted, I guess, was to was the community aspect. I think that that's one of the things that Happy Startup School, I could see it, it provides. It was, I was attracted to the, the, being able to connect with like-minded people, um, people maybe at similar stages and different stages of their journey and setting up businesses um, and, um, and that kind of support and solidarity and inspiration element, I guess, as I'm, I'm in that process of setting up a business now. Um, and I, I found it. So I think the, I think I, I think I discovered you on LinkedIn. I, I can't remember, but I, I, I was kind of following, stalking a little bit, and then I came along to an ideas cafe. I think it was probably the beginning of this year in January, um, and loved it. I loved the approach. The, uh, I loved the approach that's practiced there around, you know, again, it's not kind of, it's not jumping straight into advice mode. It's kind of group using kind of some group coaching techniques and. Um, uh, but but punchy and very not punchy in a violent way, you know, <laughs> quick uh, and effective, um, productive still. So I really liked Ideas Cafe, and then I became a member because I think you had a good good offer on at the time. And um, I, what I've really valued is Ideas Cafe meetups in Brighton um, and kind of hearing other people's journey. I love the way that you know it's a mutually supportive group. People are giving and receiving in that space. And similarly, the Mighty Networks, I've really loved, actually, just being able to, it's been a great support, a great source of support, both like little practical things, like if I need kind of to know about online accounting software, being able to post a message and lots of people coming back with um, very generously with advice, but also it's kind of quite a good emotional support too, I think there and um, and and in Ideas Cafe. So uh i've i've loved it um i yeah like the way that you do things excellent thank you oh and i love your podcast <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure if i when i listen to it but i have listened to your podcast and that's been that's a nice part of my commute my 20 minute walk into platform nine in the mornings i always listen often listen to your podcasts yeah. and i really really like that i'm that enriching thank you very much well i'm no this one i, I feel is going to be a very valuable one i think it touches on a on a challenging topic for people, but I think it gives them a window of into how they can they can connect better with other people, even despite difficult circumstances. And through that, I think mm. creating even more uh, powerful connections and 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 what that's what we're about the community as well. It's, I, that's why I love this. This stuff is, it's about how can we bring people together so that we can support each other, whether it's celebration or, or creating spaces for people to feel that they need to feel. Yeah, it's lovely. You're doing it really well. Well, thank you very much again. Uh, thank you for the conversation and, and spending time with me. And well, uh, have a lovely summer. And I hope to see you at the next Ideas Cafe or bump into each other at Platform 9. Yay, thanks, Carlos. Lovely to chat. Thanks for listening to this Happy Startup School community podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, then check out our website, thehappystartupschool.com.
If you believe that there's more to life and business than making money and waiting for retirement, and if you want to surround yourself with other like-minded change makers and entrepreneurs who want to make money, do good and be happy, then please come join our community. We offer courses, conversations and content that will help you follow your own path to success. Whether you're just starting out, struggling to grow your business, or in a position of leadership and trying to work out what's next. There's no reason to face these challenges alone when you can be supported by people like you who want you to succeed. And from Friday the 13th to Sunday the 15th of September, we're hosting our Happy Startup Summer Camp. While we know that strictly isn't summer, the event also isn't just for startups. At its core, Summer Camp is about learning, play and friendship. We want to promote personal growth in business. We advocate holding our work lightly so that we can be more creative. And we know that we can't create impact on our own. We need to work with others that give us energy and support. As well as inspirational talks, we've got activities and experiences such as Blingo Bingo, Botanical Brew Making, Yoga, Mindful Raving, Saunas, Hot Tubs, Lake Swimming, Japanese Soul Fighting, Qigong Breathing and Dancing. Lots of dancing. To find out more about Summer Camp, please go to happystartupsummer.camp. Business doesn't have to be boring and it definitely shouldn't be lonely. I hope you can find your tribe with us this September.